Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that I have a chance to meet Matthew Barrett today. He's joining the program in just a few seconds. He's written a book called Simply Trinity, the Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. He is um, a professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also the executive editor of Credo Magazine. He's authored a number of books, including None Greater, Canon, Covenant, and Christology, and God's Word Alone. He also hosts uh, the Credo podcast, and he lives in the beautiful state of Kansas. Matthew, welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that kind introduction. Yeah, well, it's all deserved. You know, I've you've touched on such a fascinating topic. I, I think when it comes to the Holy Trinity, I think when people get to heaven— the at the information booth, that line is going to be long on Holy Trinity questions. <laughs> I think you're right. It's, uh, it's so amazing. I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, this is uh, a, a, not just a doctrine, right? But this is God Himself we're right. talking about, right? And it's it's a mystery. But as you just said, it's a this this is the Holy Trinity, or we might say the Blessed Trinity. So, yeah, I agree. I think that line will be long. <laughs> I think it will be, too. I know I'll be in it. Um, okay, let's just talk about the biblical definition of the Trinity, and maybe you can yeah. dumb it down for a person like me. Well, you know, when we think of—and you may have a similar story, I don't know, but when I think of my— uh, Christian testimony, right? The, I think back on the, the ways, sometimes ordinary ways, that God used uh, my own parents, in fact, to introduce me to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, in so many ways, uh, we take the Trinity for granted, um, but it's right there in the gospel. Um, so when we are introduced to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, uh, we are immediately drawn to, well, what has he done for us? And if you think of a gospel like the Gospel of John, for example, right? John chapter 1, that famous passage in John chapter 3, 316, of course, mm -hmm. has a lot to say about the eternal life that we can have in Jesus Christ. But if we pay attention, we might just notice that John actually starts off his gospel by taking us uh, not too quickly into what Jesus has done, but taking us into the mystery of the Trinity, into eternity, in fact, to describe who is this triune God apart from us, apart from creation, and even apart from salvation. And what John tells us is that, well, first of all, this is a Trinity that is one, uh, or as we say in theology, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in essence. Uh, sometimes an old-fashioned theological word is used, uh, the word simplicity. It doesn't mean God is, you know, 
basic or simplistic or easy to understand. We know he's not. Uh, but it means uh, it's a strong word that means, you no, know, this God is without division or parts. Uh, he is he is absolutely one. And we see this in John's gospel when Jesus will say he is one with the Father. Well, that raises another question then. Well, what is it then that distinguishes Father, Son, Spirit if they are one in this way? And John has a ready answer for us. Uh, As soon as you open uh, the Gospel of John, we see it in this language of begetting that's used. He says, well, the Son is begotten from the Father. That's why we call him Son. And later he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, uh, last thing I'll say here is we have to be real careful, right, because we, we don't want to impose what, you know, you and I experience and, you know, a human family or a human society. We don't want to just assume those creaturely characteristics back on the God. That would be dangerous. So uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, the scriptural authors will say, well, this begetting of the Son, it is eternal. There never was a time when the Son was not. Likewise with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is from the Father and the Son but from all eternity. So this is not only a holy and blessed trinity, but an, uh, we could say it's a, an eternal trinity as well. This is why, Matthew, this line at the information booth on the trinity is going to be long. <laughs> I'm probably not helping. No, 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 you are. make it even longer. <laughs> you, you are, but I mean, because all this is obviously information and that we've, we've heard, we've read, we've studied, but yeah. it's still out there a little bit incomplete mm-hmm. in my brain, which will be made full in, in glory, for sure. That's exactly right. We can't forget that this is the incomprehensible, infinite trinity we are talking about. And so that's it's hard work, obviously, um, but uh, at the same time, it sh- shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us, right? Because this right. is God we're talking about. Right. I mean, if I spend 10 seconds thinking about God never having a beginning— I can just, uh, you know, my head will spin. That's right. How does that even happen? Doesn't God put up a shingle one day and say, okay, I'm God and I'm going to get things started? (laughs) But no, that's not how it works. And that's such an important qualification to make, right? Because as you can probably tell from the subtitle of my book, we have a tendency, especially in the last century, as we look back at you know how we've talked about God, there's a, a dangerous tendency to just think of God as just kind of a bigger, better version of ourselves, and, and then we, we domesticate Him, or we even might start manipulating the Trinity to look, uh, well, to make a Trinity in the image of our own selves, our own society. So, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, these biblical concepts that Scripture gives to us, uh, they tell us something true. Why is the Father called Father, the Son called Son, the Spirit called Spirit? And yet, at the same time, we don't want to assume, right, that, well, uh, we can somehow master this uh, as if there's no mystery there at all. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and then I only want mm-hmm. to do the will of the Father, and... It, it, you know, it, it is not, it's not easy, although I believe all of it, of course, um, and I don't question it, um, but it is challenging at times. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this is one of those uh, moments, right, where 
uh, sometimes it can be tempting for us as Christians to say, well, this is hard. Uh, these are the these are deep things, right? The deep things of God, if we can call them that. And our temptation can be to kind of check out, right? To say, well, uh, I'll just leave that, you know, over there, and I'm going to go back to my <laughs> life or Christian ministry or, mm-hmm. you know, church on Sunday. But actually, uh, you know, to use John's gospel uh, as an example again, isn't it interesting, right, that he starts off talking about these deep things, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, and then on that that really important foundation, he then can turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, well, if this is the eternal Son of God, then he can save you. He can actually uh, be incarnate and go to the cross for your salvation. But that's only possible if he really is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. Matthew, in your book, Simply Trinity, the unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit, you do say something kind of controversial. You say the Church uh, has the wrong, unorthodox view of the Trinity. Please Mm. say more. Yes, yeah. You know, uh, this claim, of course, it's not uh, original with me. More and more lately, I think uh, some of the best um, theologians, historians are are starting to say, hold on a second, maybe we've actually drifted a little bit, maybe a lot, from a biblical and even orthodox understanding uh, of of the Trinity. And by orthodox, I don't mean Eastern Orthodox. I'm referring to uh, uh, the Trinity faithfully confessed by the Church down through the ages. Now, why why is this observation, uh, even as you said, a controversial claim? Why is it being made? Well, in the last century, in the 20th century, there was all this revived interest, a bit of a renaissance, so to speak, interest in the doctrine of the Trinity. But then as things settled down a little bit, um, in, in recent, in the last decade, really, we've started to notice that, well, hold on, what kind of trinity exactly was being uh, revived? And we've started to notice, actually, it's not necessarily a biblical and orthodox trinity that the Church has confessed for uh, centuries upon centuries. Rather, it seems to be a trinity that well, if we're honest, is made more in the image of our own society. Hmm. What does this look like? Well, um, long story short, um, there's a bit of a tendency, uh, instead of going back to the Scriptures to define the Trinity as we've been doing, there's a bit of a tendency to say, well, I'm going to assume that the Trinity must just be a society like like we're a society in, in our human experience. And so, you know, you're a person, I'm a person, we're separate individuals, you've got your own will, I've got my own will, um, and uh, maybe we get along at points and cooperate, but we're nonetheless individuals. And if we're not careful, we can actually assume, well, that just must be how Father, Son, and Spirit work. Well, actually, in the history of the Church, uh, there was a name for that. It was it was called the heresy of tritheism. And uh, why is that the case? Well, because, you know, you and I, we're, we're separate individuals, right? Uh, but when we talk about God, we're talking about Father, Son, Spirit, and they are actually one in essence and in will. And so uh, this is where theologians have noticed, hey, if we— if we start to mess around and muddy up uh, the Trinity, uh, who God is in and of himself, 
and start treating and assuming that, oh, it's just like a human society, we could actually be in danger here of some significant heresies. Wow. Really interesting. Matthew Barrett is my guest. His book is Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. And after a short break, we'll be right back. I'm back with Matthew Barrett. He's authored several books. The one we're chatting about today is called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Holy Trinity is certainly a topic that all of us have thought long and hard about, and we are still uh, will not know exactly everything until we are in heaven to know what it all means uh, for sure. I mean, we know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know the roles they play in our lives and how they're interconnected and how uh, we respond. But it is a difficult topic, and Matthew's done a nice job. He studied this for years. And before the break, Matthew, we were chatting about the way in which society seems to manipulate. I would love to hear more about how the Trinity's been manipulated within the evangelical uh, culture today. You know, it's a big question. I'm glad you asked it. Uh, It's one that frankly, makes us a little uncomfortable because it means we have to, you know, take an honest, hard look at ourselves. But uh, I, I think it's right. Yeah, uh, you're onto something there when you say we have a tendency to use or maybe even manipulate the Trinity in countless ways. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, spending years and years pouring over this. And I remember really clearly at one point as I sort of sat back and looked at all the books on my bookshelf on the Trinity over the last, you know, over the 20th century. And I noticed, hey, this this entire shelf is is trying to redefine the Trinity uh, for the sake of, you know, politics. And then this entire Mm -hmm. shelf is trying to redefine the Trinity for its agenda in ecology, the environment. And then this this shelf over here is uh, a big <laughs> shelf. This one's trying to redefine the Trinity uh, in a way that then can meet a certain agenda with gender. Uh, and, and I just, the list just kept going on and on and on. And what was a bit frightening is I noticed, you know what, uh, some of these are even evangelicals. And I don't know if we always realize it, but uh, we sometimes uh, kind of buy into that, play by those rules, uh, and we like to use the Trinity for whatever our you know our pet uh, agenda might be. So uh, all that to say, it is it 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 has been really sobering. I'm not, of course, the first to notice this. Others have noticed this as well, but it's been really sobering to realize this. Um, you know, if I could be a little bit more specific, uh, I would say, uh, how has this happened? Well, we in many ways have just assumed, like we were talking about before the break, we just assume, oh, the Trinity must just be uh, a society that's analogous to like our human society. Well, uh, based on that assumption, we then can just kind of make a beeline, right, for human society, for whatever our agenda may be, and say, well, 
uh, let's use the Trinity to justify this or that. Uh, one of the most famous examples, or maybe infamous, depending on your point of view, is uh, one of the most famous theologians, uh, Jurgen Moltmann of the 20th century, who said, well, I'm going to redefine the Trinity as a society of equal members uh, in which they, they're individuals who uh, very much are uh, just going to seek each other's you know, good and that sort of thing. And then he made a beeline for human society and looked at politics and said, oh, this is the Trinity then is the perfect paradigm for socialism. And this is the type of move that, uh, well, in the 20th century was just considered pretty legitimate. Hmm. Well, all, all that to say, uh, I'm making the case in this book, uh, hold on a second here, let's tap the brakes, because it could be the case that we're actually using and misusing the Trinity for a host, really every social agenda under the sun, and as a consequence, not only are we manipulating the Trinity in countless ways, sometimes ways that contradict each other, but we're also failing to define the Trinity in the biblical ways that, well, that Scripture itself does. Mm-hmm. Let's do more than tap the brakes. Let's slam them on. And yes. <laughs> that's, that's bringing up my lunch. Uh, all right. Let's, let's go back to just discussing the Trinity in the Gospel, because that is so, it's mm-hmm. important that we, that we go back to that and we talk about that some more. You know, this is uh, an important connection to make, and perhaps I should—I need to say this beforehand. Um, The Trinity is Trinity regardless of whether creation or salvation ever happened. And I realize that can be quite a startling statement to hear if, you know, for some of our listeners, maybe it's the first time you're hearing this, because we tend to go about our daily lives— as if, you know, we're the center of the universe. I'm guilty of that, too. I know it, that, you know, I, I do that as well. Um, and if we're not careful, right, uh, even when we go to church, we can have a great emphasis, right, on the gospel and say, yes, we're gospel-centered, and, and amen to that, right? But if we're not careful, we can tend to assume sometimes that, well, this trinity must just be a trinity uh, for me. <laughs> uh, that, that's a scary thought if we follow it through, because that would then mean, well, did, was Jesus not the Son of God until uh, he actually you know, was incarnate for mm-hmm. your salvation? Well, surely not, as you no. mentioned a minute ago. Uh, no, this is the, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. So all that to say, we have to be really careful, first and foremost, that we don't uh, collapse who God is in and of himself with what might happen in creation or salvation uh, for our sake. Now, that important, crucial qualification in place, we can then say, okay, well, now that we know God's not you know, dependent on the world in some way, isn't it marvelous, isn't it extraordinary then that God as Trinity would then reveal his triune identity to us in the most spectacular way of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I like to sometimes ask, you know, it can help us think through this, ask this question, uh, why is it that the Son, for example, is sent to be incarnate, to, to actually uh, take, on, take on flesh and to live and to die and to rise again from the grave? Well, it's not random or arbitrary. Uh, the reason that the Son 
is sent by the Father. It's not because he's inferior in some way or subordinate or a, a lesser God or anything like that. No, uh, the reason he is sent into our world, well, that is so fitting and appropriate because remember, as John's gospel tells us, this is the son who is from his father, or as John says, begotten from his father from all eternity. Or as so many of our church uh, fathers like to say, this is the son who is from the father's essence from all eternity. Well, if that's the case, then that actually puts the gospel on solid ground, because this isn't a gospel that's like a plan B for God. Uh, this isn't a gospel that's you know arbitrarily decided. Um, no, this is this is a, a gospel we believe in because well, it's grounded on who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even apart from us. So all that to say, the gospel is good news, but it's only good news. Because, uh, well, of who God is. And this is one of the reasons why I love so many of those, you know, Christmas hymns and songs that we sing, um, or sometimes around Easter, too, in which we can praise God for what he's done for us. But so many of those old hymn writers recognize, well, the reason this amazing grace is so, you know, amazing is because it is it is founded on a God uh, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. Nicely, nicely said, Matthew. I appreciate that. Um, I doesn't take long out of the first chapter of Genesis too to be introduced to the the Trinity. That's that's exactly right, uh, and maybe that's an important you know point to throw into our discussion, right? Because. Um, you know, we've been talking about the Gospel of John, but uh, remember, as Christians, right? We uh, we read the Bible as Christians, as it as it was meant to be read, which means that it's a whole. Uh, yes, we read individual books, but uh, it's it's one book in the sense that God Himself is the author. Which means it's not surprising then that as soon as we open our Bibles in Genesis, we are introduced to to creation. And surprise, surprise, this is the Father, Son, and Spirit um, that that creates. The Father creates the world through His Son by His Spirit. And uh, when we get to Genesis 3.15, isn't it interesting that after they sin, God promises there will come uh, a seed from the woman, an offspring, who's going to crush the serpent's head. And we discover as the story goes on, hey, this is none other than the eternal Son of God, comes incarnate for the sake of our redemption. Yeah, it's a fascinating study. I I find this topic, uh, Matthew, something that I can get lost in pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, the minute I start <laughs> talking too. about it, I go, uh-oh, I'm going to be up all night now thinking about this. Absolutely. I've look what you're doing to me. About it. <laughs> look, look what you're doing to me, Matthew. <laughs> well, you can blame it on me. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I want to continue this discussion. I've got still lots of questions for you, and I am going to take a very short break here. Uh, Matthew Barrett is my guest, and the book is called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. After a short break, we'll be back with Matthew in just a minute.
We're back talking with Matthew Barrett, and this is a fascinating discussion on the Trinity. He's the Associate Professor of Christian Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's authored a number of books. Uh, One is called None Greater. Uh, One is called Canon, Covenant, and Christology. And another one is called God's Word Alone. He's also the executive editor of Credo Magazine and the host of the Credo Podcast. The book he's written that we're chatting about today is called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit, which raises this question, uh, Matthew, what does simplicity have to do with the Trinity? Mm, This is uh, really one of my favorite uh, topics to discuss. Now, I I will just come out front and say this. This is going to take some real theological muscles. Uh, We need to use our our theological muscles to really understand this, but I can can say there's a really great payoff in the end. When we use a word like simplicity, we don't mean that, well, God's just, uh, you know, elementary or basic or simplistic. Uh, That's kind of how we use the word today. When theologians use a word like simplicity, they mean it in a different way entirely. Uh, They are essentially saying this God who is eternal and infinite and timeless and unchanging, uh, this God is not like us. He's not uh, made up of parts like we are. Uh, He's not uh, a God who can be divided uh, in his own being, or a God who's torn uh, like we are. You know, you think of uh, our experiences from day to day in which we are a bit of a, an emotional roller coaster at times. You know, we, sometimes we're even conflicted within ourselves. That's not like God either. So they used this word simplicity because it was one of the, the best words they could find to say our God, there's, there's not just one God out there uh, as opposed to many gods, but our God is one. And this was a basic biblical commitment of the Old Testament. Now, that said, uh, simplicity actually is crucial. Uh, I'll give you two reasons why. One reason is this. Uh, Simplicity guarantees that there is no inferiority or hierarchy of any sort in the Trinity. In other words, Father, Son, and Spirit, they have in common the one simple, undivided, indivisible divinity, or as we like to say in theology, divine essence. Uh, there's, there's, it's not as if you know one person is less God than another person. Uh, no, they are co-equal with one another. Uh, well, this brings us really then to a second important reason, and it's this. If uh, Father, Son, Spirit are one in divinity, one in essence, well, then that actually goes a long way to explaining how Father, Son, and Spirit work as one in salvation history, which is something that we're introduced to. Um, For example, as soon as we open a New Testament letter like the book of Ephesians, 
isn't it fascinating that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about our salvation going in eternity all the way to what Christ has done, and then he's going to bring us to what the Holy Spirit does uh, to apply uh, this salvation inside of us. Isn't it interesting that Paul assumes throughout Oh, this external work of salvation that God accomplishes, well, this is uh, a united work, Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, they are one. They act as one in accomplishing our salvation uh, because – why? Because they are one in their very essence. Now, uh, I realize that's a bit of a, a, a theological statement to make, but – Notice then how important that is for how we think about our Christian lives and the salvation that the Holy Spirit, for example, is is working within us. Um, that means that, well, this is not like, uh, you know, like you and I, if we wanted to, you know, go build a house or something like that. Well, it would be sort of a division of labor. You might say, "Okay, I'm going to build the roof," and I might say, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to work on the foundation, and and hopefully we can meet up, and maybe or maybe not we're on the same page." And well, uh, that tends to be how we think of unity in our world. But actually, when we talk about the unity of God and the unity of of Father, Son, and Spirit performing a single work or a single act, it's not like that at all. In fact, uh, if that were the case, it would really divide up the Trinity, and we, we wouldn't be able to, to talk about this, this unity anymore. Rather, the way that the Bible talks about the work of salvation, it will say things like, well, the, the Father, um, uh, on the one hand, it will say the Father uh, is the one who plans this salvation, and it's accomplished by the Son, and it's applied by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, it can say this salvation, it's the single act of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the Holy Trinity itself. Matthew, obviously, also, you don't know me at all because the house building illustration doesn't work at all. You would build the entire house. <laughs> I would go to Chick-fil-A and get us food. That's, that would be the division of labor. Well, if it's Chick-fil-A, uh, I'm afraid <laughs> nothing would be built because I'd be joining you. <laughs> All right. Here, here's a question that might be a little bit of a curveball. Was God the Father and the Holy Spirit present at the crucifixion? Oh, great question. You know, this is one that I don't usually get asked, so I'm I'm really glad that you raised this. And it's it honestly, it's not all that the answer is not all that different than than what we we just talked about. Um, because sometimes the tendency is to think, oh, well, uh, when, when we are seeing what, you know, the sun is doing, for example, maybe at the cross, uh, well, that, that must not involve the other persons of the Trinity. And notice what we just did, right? We mm -hmm. actually just divided up the Trinity, kind of like what we were talking about. Well, maybe building a house is not the best illustration anymore, but, uh, we, you know, maybe it's building a Chick-fil-A. I will put it that way. <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, notice, well, that's how things might work with us, as if, you know, you could act unilaterally um, without me, or maybe I decide I'm just going to go off solo and work without you. Uh, but actually, uh, that's very different than how God acts. He acts as one because he is one. So uh, isn't it interesting that the book of Hebrews, for example, can say things like, the Son goes to the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
notice how uh, the way that Hebrews talks about the cross, and well, that assumes um, a type of unity there that is unbreakable. Or think about uh, in the Gospels, right, when Jesus is talking about this mission that the Father has given him to accomplish, he can turn right around and say, my Father is working until now, and so am I. And this, of course, is going to, you know, be outrageous in the eyes of those religious leaders because they recognize that, well, are you claiming then to be one with God? To which Jesus, well, yes, (laughs) that is what he is claiming. All that to say, no matter what particular work of salvation we are talking about, we have to keep in mind that key belief of simplicity. Now, that said, uh, I should also add one more thing. Um, on the one hand, we want to affirm the oneness of God uh, and the singularity of the Father, Son, Spirit in their action. At the same time, though, um, it's also, well, sorry for the pun here, but it's appropriate to talk about what's called appropriations. Uh, what does that fancy theological word mean? Well, essentially what we're talking about is um, – any particular, uh, you know, work or, or moment of, of salvation history, or maybe it's creation or providence, uh, it can be appropriated uh, by a particular person of the Godhead. Um, and so you you just did that, or rightly so, when you said, hey, look, at it. it's the, the Son who's incarnate and goes to the cross. Um, and yet, uh, we we are quick to say, well, these uh, ways of appropriating uh, any particular work of God, um, it's always something that's done uh, consistently with who that person is from eternity. And so we've been, we've been talking a lot about that, right? So why is it the case that the Holy Spirit is said to be the one who perfects the work of salvation that Christ has secured? Why is, it, why is he the, the one who's called the sanctifier? Well, that's appropriate, right? Because, well, this is the same spirit uh, who actually proceeds or is pirated from the Father and the Son from all eternity. So notice how fitting that is. Yeah, it's very, very uh, fitting. All right. Um, Christians have always confessed Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, and that's uh, really a core belief. Um mm. And even I, even C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity um, talks about that uh, as a core component, which I love. Um, but it's it's not it's taken a little bit of a beating lately, hasn't it? You know, it really has. And uh, I'm afraid to say that you know the average Christian who shows up for church on Sunday, if they you know grab a, a Bible out of the pew, or maybe they, they grab one at the local bookstore or on, online or wherever, I'm afraid to say that uh, a lot of versions, when they open it, well, they won't even be introduced to that language, mm. um, and uh, which has some pretty significant consequences, because that means that a lot of the concepts that you and I have been talking about in our time, they just have never heard before. But if we go back in time um, to you know, past decades and past centuries, uh, Christians were very familiar with these concepts because uh, they saw them right there in the translations that they used from their Bibles. 
And so, uh, yeah, you're right. There's been a bit of a suspicion um, at, towards language like only begotten son. And so sometimes translators have removed it altogether from a gospel like John's. But actually, now scholars are noticing, wait a minute, maybe we were too quick to do that. Could it be that John actually has really good reasons for using that familial family-type metaphor to speak of the son? After all, that's why we call him a son. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really excited to say, actually, there's been some good movement to return to that language. All right. Matthew Barrett is my guest. He's written a book called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. After a short break, we'll have more with Matthew. Welcome back to the show. Matthew Barrett's my guest. He's the Associate Professor of Christian Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and is chatting about a book he's written called Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a first-time guest on the show, and I'm looking at the back of his book, and his good-looking picture, he's sporting what looks to be a Hawaiian shirt, uh, which just makes me like you even more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have to admit, that's the... uh... I'm originally from California, though I live in Kansas City now, and so every once in a while, I, you know, I, I've got to get back to the beach. <laughs> you got to bust out the beachwear, which I appreciate. All right, yes. Matthew, let's uh, talk about uh, d- does a, a biblical Orthodox view of the Trinity have consequences for our, sal- our salvation? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and we we see this in all kinds of ways um, across uh, the storyline of Scripture. Um, you know, you think of that famous uh, hymn that Charles Wesley wrote, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, it's, an old, it's an older hymn, I admit, but uh, maybe it's one that, you know, some people uh, are familiar with. And I can't help but think of of that line, uh, that stanza in there where he says, hail the heaven born Prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings, mild. He lays his glory by born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth. One of the reasons I love, uh, that stanza so much is because, well, Uh, as he says there, the sons of earth, well, we only receive our second birth if if this prince of peace he's talking about is heaven born. And that that is a crucial, crucial connection, right? Because oftentimes as as Christians we talk about, you know, have you been born again? And uh that's so important uh to discuss because well uh that gets at the very um, identity of of the supernatural work that God does uh, within us, so that we trust in Christ and we repent of our sins and we have new life. But we can't forget that the only reason we can talk about being born again is because we this life that's been given to us. Well, this isn't something that you know God has to go out and find and, and somehow figure out. 
No, the, the Son of God himself can give us this life, well, because he is life uh, apart from us. Uh, I think of, you know, John chapter 5, for example, and Jesus makes this statement that just is perplexing to his listeners uh, when he says, just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And I, th- I don't think Jesus here is just talking about, you know, uh, his existence on earth, that sort of thing. I think he's actually talking about an eternal reality. Uh, the, the, the Father from all eternity communicates uh, this uh, divine life or essence, as we've been talking about, to the Son. Now, if, if that's the case, well, then John uh, and Jesus himself, actually, in, in John chapter 5, can go on and talk about the resurrection and say, well, no wonder death cannot hold him back. And he can go on to then say, you, Christian, have every co- you can have every confidence that, that you, you can be born again, that God can bring about this new life in you. Matthew, I want to ask you about fellowship and prayer. And when we go to prayer and fellowship, do we try to have communion with, with each person of the Trinity? I've, I've heard people pray specifically to the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that a wise strategy? Is that how we should pray? Or is it reasonable that we should talk to them each individually? You know, this is a, um, a question that really gets at the very heart of our Christian life, because prayer is, well, it's not just uh, something we do on Sunday, um, something we should do on Sunday as a church together. Um, so it's not only corporate, but um, Scripture actually encourages us to go straight to God, which is is unbelievable if you think about it. We can go straight to God uh, directly and actually uh, pray and have fellowship and communion uh, with, with the Holy Trinity. Uh, what a privilege. Now, that being the case, uh, you know, you, you raise a good question. Well, um, how do we, exa- how, how, how can we have fellowship and communion or even pray to this Trinity? Are, are we only allowed to, should we only think of one person and not the others? Or uh, That's a really good question. One of the ways uh, I like to put it is, well, and, and I have to admit here, I have a, a little bit of help from a friend, uh, the Puritan, John Owen. He wrote an entire book on this topic called Communion with the Trinity. And uh, John Owen made a great point. He said, on the one hand, when we have communion with any one particular person, uh, uh, whether it's Father, Son, or Spirit, he said, we actually have communion with the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead. And you'll notice there, uh, he's assuming much of what we've talked about, right? He's assuming uh, Father, Son, Spirit. Um, these aren't just individuals off on their own. They haven't gone solo. No, they are uh, one in essence and divinity with one another. And so that gives them confidence to say, hey, if when if you have communion with the Son, you, you also have communion with the Father and Spirit. In fact, you mentioned this a minute ago when when uh, you quoted Jesus and, and you said, you know, if, if when, where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that said, at the same time, uh, John Owen also makes a great point and says, and you, you not only have communion and fellowship and you can pray to – you have communion with the whole Trinity, 
but uh, you can have communion and fellowship with each person in a way that is very fitting according to to who they are and what they've done. And so he said, you can have fellowship with the Father um, because uh, he is the source of our communion. Uh, he is the fountain of love. Uh, he said, you can have uh, fellowship and communion with, with the Son uh, by grace. So if we have fellowship with the Father by love, we have fellowship with the Son by grace. Um, he used the example of, of uh, like a tree or a flower to say, well, uh, if, if our communion with the Father is like a fountain, um, well, when we have communion with the Son by grace, it's like the fruit uh, that comes out of the flower. And then he turned to the Holy Spirit and said, the Holy Spirit's not left out of this either. Uh, we actually can have communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit by what he called consolation or what we might call comfort. And, well, this is one of the reasons why Jesus could could point to the Holy Spirit and say, Listen, I'm not going to leave you disciples as orphans in this world. I'm going to send a helper. He's actually going to be a comforter to you. So, I mean, there's so much more we could say here, right? But notice how we have communion with the whole Trinity and with the Father um, by love, with the Son by grace, and with the Holy Spirit according to the way he comforts us. Mm -hmm. Matthew, I'm always a little uncertain as to how I'm supposed to be going about this, though. I mean... The Trinity is the object of my worship and all of yeah. my love. And Jesus says, uh, as a model of prayer, we start with our Father who art in heaven. Mm. We don't start with our Holy Spirit who art in heaven. Yeah. But yeah. I certainly uh, pray in Jesus' name. I ask for the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I, I do ask for specific relationships in the Trinity, um, but... I don't know if if that's uh, if I'm on the right track or not. Well, and notice even how you describe that, right? Um, it's very helpful because um, on the one hand, we've been talking about uh, eternity and how um, the Father, He's unbegotten, the Son is begotten from the Father, and the Spirit is, you know, spirated from the Father and the Son. This this mystery. Um, but notice the way the the order in which we know this Trinity, uh, it comes to us in the opposite direction so that, well, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts uh, and causes us to be born again, opens our eyes to Jesus Christ, who we then, uh, he becomes our mediator. And as our mediator, by his grace, he then leads us before the throne of the Father, by which we have right standing with God and can confidently pray and know that we have assurance of salvation. So the way you describe it there, uh, I would just echo that and, and say, yeah, no, look at the all three persons of the Trinity uh, working as one in this beautiful, uh, beautiful work of salvation in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. We only have a couple of minutes left, and this is probably not a fair question to spring on you with a couple of minutes left, but you talk in your book about the, the Trinity Dream Team, and I, I have not read uh, about that, so you're going to have to help me with that. Well, one of the things I say right out of the gate is we do not need to reinvent the wheel. That's okay. where we get ourselves into big danger with the Trinity. And so I like to say, hey, if we are for the church, right, 
then um, we should read the Bible with the church. Uh, let's not try to do it by ourselves. Uh, that's where we can make all kinds of errors. Let's link arms with one another and with the best Bible thinkers of the past, an Athanasius, for example, or an Augustine, uh, and let's link arms with them, the dream team, as I call them, and uh, they are going to help us and, and walk us right up to the mystery of this triune God himself. Very helpful. All right, just a minute left uh, to all the Sunday school teachers out there that have to explain the Trinity to their Sunday school class. How do you think they're doing? Oh, well, you're really putting me on the spot. On <laughs> I know, one, Matthew. <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, you've heard every illustration under the sun, so yeah, I'm wondering if there's yeah. one that you uh, kind of say that, that that's a better a better example than others. Yeah. Well, uh, I would say to Sunday school teachers out there, um, it's probably wise for us, and I'm, I'm in your same shoes. I teach Sunday school as well. It's probably wise of us to, to stay away from, you know, those clever uh, illustrations and analogies because more often than not, they kind of fall apart or lead yeah. us too, too dangerously close to, you know, a particular heresy. Yeah. I would encourage Sunday school teachers to go back to the scriptures uh, do so with the help of the dream team. And notice the way, as we've been talking about in our time, that you're presented with the gospel and the way that leads you then to describe the one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you. Glad you to be on. Matthew Barrett, his book, Simply Trinity. And that wraps up our show for the day. I appreciate you listening and supporting Faith Radio. Thanks for spending the time with me. I'm looking forward to our next time together. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.